Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week is a fellow who is taking a chance on something that, you know, conventional wisdom tells us he shouldn't be taking a chance on this. We're going to find out about it. He is, of course, Rick Morgenstern. He is the person behind what is now called Morgenstern's. It's that independent new bookstore in the old Pier 1 location on the east side of Bloomington. Rick, thanks for joining us on Big Talk. Thanks for having me, Michael. Rick, uh, you know, for years, decades even, common knowledge has had it that books are dead. And now you and four investors are banking on that being untrue. So is it untrue? Well, I never bought into that folklore to begin with. I think that was a media portrayal. There are more books being sold and read than ever before. And uh, the industry maturing with the rise of both Borders and Barnes and Noble, two uh, national chains, uh, hasten that along. So the book is not dead by any means. And things are coming full circle in the industry uh, as Borders has left and Barnes and Noble is receding into major metropolitan areas. Independents are resurfacing to pick up the slack because there is a voracious appetite out there for books. You know, funny thing is when you walk into the new Morgan Stearns, you think you're walking into a highly financed big national chain. It's so beautiful in there. All the facilities are new and fresh. You can smell fresh carpeting when you walk in there and you're going to have up to 50,000 books. Uh, you've got an operation going there now. We do. Um, and it's uh, just like the operation we had in the 90s, uh, 25, 30 years ago, uh, with, a, with a contemporary spin on it. You know, uh, your old Morgan Stern bookseller store in the Eastland Plaza back then in the late 90s, that was there before I came to this town. But ever since I came to this town in 2009, all I'd ever heard was about Morgan Stern's, the bookseller there. And people, people almost mourned that you had closed. Yeah, I found that uh, over the years to be true. I, I've encountered, I can't tell you how many times, uh, people on the street who say, are you the guy that had the bookstore? And that happened for years and years after we closed. I think it was a special business. We were able to really create a spirit of the place that people just uh, cherished at that time. And, and there's a lot of fond memory about it out there. In that uh, time that it was open, as I say, it was on Eastland Plaza over by 3rd Street. Uh, that was like a driving destination for most people, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't very walkable then. Of course, we were at that time close to the campus, about a mile from Central Campus. But, you know, independence like what we are, what we put ourselves out to be, are our destination businesses. High walkability doesn't have to be in place for a business like ours to be successful. Had you considered for the new store, Morgan Stearns, 
Had you considered thinking about downtown Bloomington or was it always that you were going to stay on the east side? Well, two, two things come into play there, Michael. One is uh, I had my former business on the east side and I'm fond of the east side. And so I wanted to return to the east side because that's where we were successful. And the second thing is there's a, a, an operator in downtown Bloomington that is near and dear to both our hearts, Margaret Taylor. Right. And I did not want to uh, impede in her business in any way. So downtown was somewhat off limits to me, at least huh. around the square area, just to be respectful of Margaret and her business. It's said that when there's competition, it's good for both parties. I think it depends on the industry. That's certainly true in the fast food business, and it's true in the hotel business. Book selling is a, a niche, you know, retail industry. It's kind of a boutique niche, and I would not say that's true in the book business. So do you think that your presence might harm, say, uh, Caveat Emptor or even the book corner? Uh, and do you want that? Certainly don't want that. I'm, I'm a big believer in local independence existing together and actually thriving together. The book corner has its clientele and it's a high walkability business downtown, as you know. So I don't think there's uh, much threat from us for her. Um, and we certainly vocally and with our customers support Margaret and the book corner. Uh, don't want to see her go anywhere. And the same is true with Caveat Emptor, although it's a, a different creature. They're antiquarian books. And so the, I think overall they have a different type of customer than ours. I have talked to any number of people, Rick, and they say almost to a person, I want to go to both places, both Morgan Stearns and the book corner. Great. That's what I would hope to hear from people. Apparently, Rick, you have been involved in books for pretty much your whole adult life. Uh, you arrived in Bloomington in 1978 to attend IU, and you went to work at the TIS College Bookstore. That was your introduction to books, apparently. Well, uh, almost. When, before I came to Bloomington, uh, in the town where my mom and dad lived, the first job I ever had was as a bookseller in a local bookshop. And I think that happened when I was 16 years old. And then when I got to Bloomington to go to IU, I worked for 12 years at TIS in various capacities. So I cut my teeth in retail in the book business at TIS. Yeah. 12 whole years working at a bookseller, you must have uh, lived on a lot of ramen. A lot of ramen noodles, that kind of ramen. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. You can't get rich in the book business, but that's only financially. You get rich in your mind and in meeting people who love books as well as you do. Yeah, and I would... Uh... I would say that just like with any other business, uh, the, a matter, the, the uh, material wealth that comes out of it is a function of how strong a business you run. So I would agree that most small independent bookstores are labors of love more than 
vehicles to gain material abundance. The larger independent stores, I think that's uh, there could be there is a different path than that if the business is properly run. It's just like any other business. Business is a uh, collection of processes and uh, numbers, and if those processes and numbers are followed in a disciplined way, it can lead to really good things uh, in terms of material abundance. That's true for the book business, just like any other business. You know, Rick, from what I can tell, you were over at TIS College Bookstore for, uh, oh, maybe about six or seven years, and then you started thinking about opening your own. What put that idea into your mind? Well, um, TIS at that time uh, had a general bookshop, and I was manager of that. I, I actually created the bookshop in the main store, and I saw a need in town over time for a, a major comprehensive independent bookstore. And I approached EIS about doing that with their business. Uh, they passed on that idea. And I thought to myself at the time, well, the idea still has merit and I have an entrepreneurial spirit about me. I think I'll just take that on. So that's kind of the beginning of the whole process for me. And that happened in 1985. That whole process started, I think. You have to get people to come in with you and put their hard-earned money on the line with you. How do you convince people to invest money in a bookstore? Or are they all book lovers just like you? Uh, I, I would say it's a little bit of both in the book business. For uh, business people who are savvy investors, an idea like that has to make a lot of sense on paper. So there has to be proper market study. There has to be proper financial projections. And then the credibility and the experience of the founder really comes into play there too. So, you know, general uh, business startup principles apply. But then if you're, if I was lucky enough to find one person or more who were passionate about bookstores and books. And that uh, really, those two things operated together in getting the thing to come alive. That was true then, and it's also true in this iteration. So you opened up that first Morgan Stern bookseller in about 1990. As I say, you were in Eastland Plaza. And then next thing you know, these two big steamrollers come along. How did you feel about that? Do you remember those days? Well, uh, I sure do vividly. I think the first thing I can report was I went into shock and I went into denial. Uh, and I went into a, a very strong kind of offensive business posture, which carried the message that these guys aren't going to these guys aren't going to take us down. We're just going to work harder and smarter than we have, and we're going to survive this. Well, that didn't happen. Um, and so my feelings evolved from the initial shock and denial into fear and terror and anger and then sadness. Um, I saw that the business demise was imminent, and I felt really sad and angry for me and my family, but also felt sad for Bloomington because I felt that that 
business, that unique business really carried a special place in the hearts of people that lived here and it was being forced out. So both of those things, you know, they brought me a lot of sadness at that time. Yes, I remember vividly that whole period. Now, you know, in these days, people come into independent bookstores and say, I don't care about Amazon. I don't care about the big box booksellers. I want to support independent. Was that kind of viewpoint not in existence back 25 years ago? Uh, It's a really good observation. It's something I've given a lot of thought to. There was uh, back in the mid 90s, there was lip service paid to that by the general population. But, you know, truth be told, people's actions spoke very, very differently. I don't think the consciousness was there then in the general public like it is there now in these times. Um, I think we're seeing not only the the um, words spoken about that idea, but people's actions are really starting to line up with their words because I think more and more people, hopefully enough people, not quite sure yet if it's enough people, but I can say more and more people are seeing that, hey, if I don't spend my money in this local business, it's not going to be around for me. So I need to do my part to keep it there. It's, it's, a, it's something that I love and it's something that supports me away in my life. And I, I need to give back to it so that it can stay there. That is really starting to get into the mainstream. Again, I'm not sure it's there enough yet, but it's certainly much more present in terms of people's actual behavior than it was back then when we had the first store. Now, back just a few short years ago, the Barnes & Noble over on the east side closed down. And was that about the time that you started really seriously thinking about opening yet another Morgan Stern bookstore? Well, I'd been carrying the, um, maybe the best word is hope, or just maybe being stubborn about it for 25 years that there would be an opportunity to resurface in this marketplace. And uh, I loved Bloomington, raised two families here, and uh, I went about my business to create a livelihood for me and my family while this whole thing uh, worked its way through over the course of two and a half decades. But uh, when borders closed back in 2011 across the country, I saw that that was one piece of the puzzle. Uh, And then when Barnes & Noble announced uh, in the end of 2018 that they were going to be closing in early 2019, I thought to myself, well, if there's ever going to be a time to bring the store back, now's the time. And that's when I reached out to the community. Yes. And part of your reach out was a a letter to the Herald Times. And you got quite a response to that. We got 350 responses at the last time I counted between emails and actual letters and phone calls and words on the street and social media. Uh, There was a tremendous response both from people who remembered the old store and for people living in Bloomington that uh, never even heard of the old store would just love to see a strong independent bookstore come to town. You have said 
This is a quote by you from one of the stories about the opening of the new Morgan Stearns. Quote, we want to grow into a large, multifaceted community center. Well, that's pretty ambitious. What does it mean, Rick? Well, we're well on the way to that now. Our core offering is new books, general books. We also offer a coffee and wine cafe, and we offer a, a, we will be offering a full events program like we did in the original store. And then we'll be offering offsite book selling events as well. There's this notion, Michael, of the third place, the idea of I need somewhere else besides my home and my work to hang out and feel a sense of community. And so that's what we're hopefully creating here with the new store. You've got about 9,000 square feet over in that new place. As I say, it's the old Pier 1. You've got about two dozen employees. You're hoping to to carry about 50,000 books. You even built a new exit and an outdoor patio. You're going to sell Brown County coffee you're going to sell Scholars in baked goods, all sorts of stuff, wines, as you even said. Man, that is ambitious. It just kind of feels normal to me. <laughs> <laughs> Given a proper demographic, a proper marketplace, and um, not overwhelming competition, that kind of enterprise in this kind of marketplace will be supported. I'm, I'm confident of that, which is why we did it. You have some interesting people who have come in on this with you. The uh, neurosurgeon Todd Eads and his wife, Samantha. There's an Indiana University psych professor named Jack Bates. And there's even an old Barnes and Noble veteran named Lindsay Nettle. These all people are in with you in for a dime, in for a dollar on this ambitious project. We got a great investment team. They come from a, a broad variety of contexts and all of them are talented and dedicated people. And it takes a team like that to do a business like this. Now, are you the decision maker or is it a committee of decision makers? For daily operations, which is most of what we do, we have a general manager, and she's got a management team in place. Her name is Sandy Hayes, uh -huh. and Sandy has been a longtime uh, Bloomington resident and business person here, and she's uh, tremendously talented and tremendously experienced and tremendously dedicated. We're just blessed to have Sandy and her team, uh, Jenna Bowman and Brittany Mank, to run the daily operations of the store. Now, a lot of people have been talking about how difficult it is for a lot of small businesses and local businesses to find people who want to work for them. And here you come opening a big operation as you are. How difficult was it for you to staff the place? What comes to mind is it was as hard as brushing my teeth. People <laughs> want to work in a bookstore. Bookstores are sexy places to work. We have dozens of applicants who are waiting to talk to us about working in the store. That was true with the legacy store in the 90s. Uh, we had people lining up to work there and it's been uh, 
replicated again today, which is fully expected. You know, I want to assure the listeners that, uh, Rick, you're not being fatuous when you say that people do want to work in bookstores. And by the way, our guest this week is Rick Morgenstern, the person behind the new Morgenstern's bookstore over on the east side. I know from experience, because I go way back even into uh, the 1970s, I, I worked for a place called Walden Books. People who work in a bookstore want to. In fact, one of my colleagues at a Barnes & Noble, where I worked in the 90s, uh, once told me there's two kinds of stores. He said there's grocery stores and there's bookstores. When you pass by a grocery store, nobody wants to be in there. When you pass by a bookstore, everybody wants to be in there. What you're saying is to my point, Michael. People just want to be inside bookstores and around books and around people that love books. What did you do with yourself? How did you support the families in the interim, the 25-year interim between bookstores? Well, I'm an entrepreneur, so I tried to stay an entrepreneur. And, you know, the rug was ripped out from under us uh, in 1996. So I lost a 20-year career. My wife at that time lost a 20-year career. We were a family business. I had the choice to either stay in the book business and leave Bloomington or reinvent myself and stay in Bloomington. We were raising children in Bloomington at that time and loved the city. So I decided to reinvent myself. So I opened a couple other businesses, neither of which uh, really fed the family. And I held down a few jobs none of which really panned out all that well. Once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So stubbornness and perseverance and chutzpah and just an unwillingness to give in kept me going for that period of time. For 15 years of that 25, I had a small residential remodeling business in Bloomington that I fell into. It never um, really amounted to all that much. It, we were able to keep groceries on the table. Um, but, you know, I had this dream in the back of my head the entire time motivated me as well as just my obligation, sense of obligation to both myself and my family motivated me to just do what I had to do to survive and stay in Bloomington during that time. So it's a kind of a rags to riches to rags to riches story, which most entrepreneurs have in their back pocket and that mine is no different. You know, speaking of books. You have written a book. Yep. The Mail Manifesto. What was that all about? I have been active in a nonprofit organization for over two decades. It's something called the Mankind Project. And it's a men's peer support organization. The book was an outgrowth of my volunteer work and my leadership in that organization. It really covers the topic of uh, helping young men grow up all the way to be full adult mature males, which to me is a huge social ailment we have in the culture today. We have a lot of uh, adolescent boys running around in grown-up men's bodies. Did the writing of that book help you appreciate more what it is like for a person to make a living as an author? or try to make a living as an author? Yeah, I would say um, 
98 to 99 percent of the people out there writing books either uh, have not experienced material wealth or don't have an intention to experience material wealth. Writing is is our art form. Right. It's, it, what, it's what we do as writers to feed our souls. And if material abundance comes from it, all well and good. But I would say most authors who write are not in it to make a buck. They're in it to feed their souls with this with this craft they have. And yes, it did uh, educate me on the complexities of being a, an author, especially doing it for a living. Now, right about now in the book business, as uh, you and I both know, and maybe the public doesn't, we're going to let them in on a secret. September is when the big titles start coming out because the publishers obviously want to make a want to make their money during the Christmas season, during the holiday seasons, and during the seasons where people are more staying home rather than going out and canoeing and kayaking and all the rest. They're going to have to read a book. So that's coming up now. Big season. Uh, that's been true for many, many years in the book business. Uh, there are three seasons. Uh, there's the, the fall season, like what you just described. There's the spring season which is kind of uh get through the rest of the year season and then there's an in-between short summer season for um you know travel and vacations beach reading and that kind of thing now what books are you reading right now anything good oh my um well i'm reading the big sleep by raymond chandler <laughs> that's great and uh let's see I got two or three other things going. I've got a um, a book on interpretation of the um, mythological perspective in Shakespeare's plays by a local author named Ira Zinman, which huh. is pretty interesting. Am I to assume, Rick, that you have got a personal library at home filled with thousands and thousands of books, or do you get your fill of books just by walking through your own store? Yeah, I would say that second one, Michael. I don't have a, a really large collection of books. I would I would guess them at less than a thousand in my home, uh, and I get I do get a lot of vicarious pleasure from walking through the bookstore and seeing things that are coming in. Rick Morgenstern is the proprietor and the person behind Morgenstern's bookstore. That's uh, the new place over on the east side in the old Pier 1 location on Buick Cadillac Boulevard. Uh, Rick, uh, thanks for joining us on Big Talk, and good luck. Keep it going, man. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's been really fun uh, having the conversation with you. And best wishes on this show. I hope it's around for a long time. We've been around for seven years. Uh, we've done uh, hundreds of shows, and I'm really hey. glad I got a chance to have you on. Thanks, Michael. It's an honor to be here. 